Welcome to the College Baseball Nation podcast. I'm your host, John Peters, joined today by Kyle McKelvey. Today on the podcast, we are recapping all of the action from the eighth weekend of college baseball. Let's talk college baseball. Hello there, Kyle. How are you on this beautiful Monday afternoon? Pretty good. It's uh, the day after Easter that we're recording, so Lent is over. So that means you're drinking again. What you there drinking? is a spirit in my cup once again. It's uh, just something local. There's a local distillery here, drinking some whiskey from them. Uh, it's like pretty much straight up like, you know, garage. They open up the garage door and do some tastings. But um, pretty oaky, pretty tasty, local, yeah. kind of cheap. It checks Support a lot of boxes. Local distilleries. Yeah, it just <laughs> checks a lot of boxes for me. What's in your glass, Kyle? It's a Scottish whiskey from Highlands, I think. Um, it's pronounced a knock, but spelled weirdly. Um, it's uh, tasty and smooth, and it was a celebratory one for me. Yeah, you're a, a grown-up accountant. What's your day job? <laughs> Actuary. That's eh, close enough. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's close. Nerdy enough, right? Yeah, yeah. It makes the math make sense. Yeah, and that's that's why we as a podcast are so good at stats. <laughs> you can be good Just, at stats, right? Welcome to the College Baseball Nation podcast. One minute in, we pat ourselves on the back, guaranteed, or your money back. <laughs> and yeah, of course, you have to. Kyle, there's been a little discussion going around on social media and the college basketball world. And I know you love bringing some other sports in, thinking about how it relates to college baseball. So why, why don't you set this one up for us? What's going on with UConn? Yeah, everything's related in college sports. Um, so yeah, the college basketball world. Um, I don't know if you pay attention to that, listener, but UConn won the men's college basketball tournament last week. Spoiler over... alerts. I had all 63 <laughs> of those games TiVo'd, and I was no. going to go back and watch them all, Kyle. Well, it was one for the books. It was the first time in the since in the Elite Eight um, that there wasn't a one seed, so it was a, a fun one. But it... People, UConn fans specifically, were saying, well, there wasn't a one seed, but there was a blue blood in the tournament. Um, it was us. So do you think UConn is a one seed, is a is a blue blood? Some context, they have won five titles in 25 years under three different coaches, but they've had some really bad years in there that are kind of bring them in and out of, of relevancy. Um, there's also a team like LSU football to bring another sport into it. That has won three different titles since Nick Saban got there in early 2000 under three different coaches as well. But how so, does UC Santa Barbara water polo play into this guy? <laughs> I can't bring that one into it, but maybe Stanford uh, softball or volleyball probably. <laughs> oh, Stanford um, volleyball, definitely blue bloods. They've won like a thousand yeah. national championships. I can pull that. Stanford, pull that. I feel like. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but College pass. I don't know. Like, I think one of the things here that is, is kind of interesting to unpack with all college sports is like, what's a blue blood versus what's a new blood? And mm -hmm. like, does it really matter what you are? Like, who cares if you're a blue blood if you're winning national championships? I think is probably like my takeaway from yeah. this. They're like five national championships. Like, I don't know. Maybe give it a couple of years to stew on it and UConn will be considered a blue blood in basketball. I don't know. Who do you think is the who's the who's the UConn of the college baseball world? I don't know. We were trying to think of this before the podcast and I can't think of a a team that has won at least one title under multiple coaches in recent memory. But there's like, there's teams that are in Omaha regularly under different coaches. Like 
I feel like Mississippi State in, in the last several years they've they've made it to Omaha like pretty much once a decade since yeah, the that's 70s, the, I feel like. <laughs> they feel more like a blue blood to me than, like, I, I think there's less of a question because of how long they've been consistently good and now they got their national championship. I think yeah. Mississippi State is kind of, like, safely blue blood in my mind. Yeah, it's, so, like, obviously you have the teams like USC, so, Southern Cal, uh, Texas, LSU, the Arizona schools. Uh, blue Bloods. Like Vanderbilt. Yeah, those are all the the guaranteed blue belts, blue bloods. And did I say LSU? I think I did. Um, there's a team like Miami, uh, Fullerton with four titles. Um, yeah, maybe Fullerton is the closest thing to UConn. Like Fullerton has a lot yeah. of titles, but they like, haven't won it in a while. Yeah, that's maybe. A, yeah, I, I don't know. Fullerton's probably a blue blood. I think Vanderbilt at least has to be in this conversation because of how successful and how concentrated that's been recently. But mm-hmm. but to your point about UConn basketball having all these different coaches winning national titles, it's just all Corbin, right? This Tim Corbin made yeah. Vanderbilt relevant. So it's like, who knows what happens to Vanderbilt once he's gone? Yeah, I think I'm going Vanderbilt here as the most similar. But I think just because there isn't the same coaching turnover that we see in some of the other sports, college baseball doesn't really have exactly this controversy with new blood, blue bloods quite the same way that like UConn does in college basketball. But it does feel like new blood is Vanderbilt maybe Florida because this like their first title was in 2017. They've had a lot of success since Corbin got since um, Kevin O'Sullivan got there. Yeah. Campbell. <laughs> yeah. All aboard the Campbell train. Oh yeah. Campbell's are the blue bloods of the future. Let's do it. That's I mean, I'm, I'm hopping on that train, the camel train. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we get too far off track, let's head into our top story. Lots to choose from this weekend. I'm going Big 12 for this one because I didn't see this coming. You didn't see this coming. TCU took down Oklahoma State over the weekend to throw another wrench into the Big 12 standings. Horn Frogs took two out of three after dropping game one against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. The top of the Big 12 is a big old mess right now, but in the best of ways. Yeah, so there's Texas has a 6-3 and three record to to lead the Big 12 right now, uh, a half game up on Oklahoma State. They have one fewer conference series right now. Um, Oklahoma State's 7-5. TCU's also 7-5 with that tiebreaker. But those don't come into play until the end of the year, really. Um, it's it's interesting. It feels like there's a lot of teams that are just like right around like right around that middle. Like that Big Someone's going to have to make a run. To yeah, yeah, someone's going to have to make a run at some point in the Big 12 to get some separation or else it's just going to be down to the wire race. And team like Texas Tech is four and five in the league with all of their tough series behind them. They honestly, legitimately could go nine and zero in the next three series. Uh, they have Oklahoma. It's not loading for me. Oklahoma on the road, Baylor at home, and Kansas State on the road. Those are sweepable series. But if they go eight and one in that, or seven and two, or something, that still could be really nice for for Big Twelve standings to get Texas Tech to like leap them, or I don't know. Get them yeah, right back them up in, the boards. into the yeah, but that that Big Twelve cul-de-sac is hard to get out of. There's a lot of teams that are like right there in the middle. It's weird. Really waiting for a team to emerge from the pack, but TCU did a great job over the weekend of establishing themselves once again as a contender at twenty and twelve on the year. This really felt like a series that TCU needed to win to stay relevant. They dropped that series early in the year. Florida State that was right after they had some success at the college baseball showdown, but Florida State has been in a 
spinning spiral of doom basically since that series mm-hmm. and that series loss was getting worse and worse tcu also had a successful weekend in houston at shriners uh they have since had uh, one little slip up going on the road losing a series at oklahoma losing a series at texas tech no shame in that but you're starting to run out of big 12 series in some ways and you, you got to start winning some of these series tcu did the job they did the job via the bullpen and i want to talk about one notable starting pitcher performance but before we get into that the bullpen did not give up a run on the weekend like that's headline headline tcu baseball bullpen gave up zero earned runs and that was a bullpen that wasn't just there to close up games you know it wasn't just bullpen coming in the eighth and the ninth in game one chase hoover tcu started to give up seven earned runs that turned into a four inning relief effort from the bullpen uh that tcu ended up losing game one seven to six but their bullpen by giving four scoreless innings really kept them in it so the series started turning around in game two and it did turn around with starting pitching so cole klecker for TCU, seven innings, three earned runs. Ben Albert, Albert, Abelt, Abelt, Abelt. Yeah, an L in there. <laughs> ben Abelt came in to get uh, the game through the ninth inning. Only one walk, four strikeouts, no earned runs. Obviously, they had no earned runs on the whole entire weekend. And then there's a little bit of a bullpen special on the game three. There, Cam Brown only got TCU three innings. Uh, two relievers got the rest of the way, six innings for TCU as they won game three by a score of 12 to five. Pretty impressive yeah, I mean, performance. Absolutely. And this was just another one of those Big 12 home series wins. I was going through the records that I have, and it se- it it looks like, unless I've done something wrong, but Big 12 home teams, like the home series, They've won 87% of the home series. Say that again. So, Big 12 home team has won 87% of home series. Yeah. 87%. That's 13 out of 15. The only two times that a road team has won are games, are series that involved West Virginia. West Virginia won one on the road and lost one at home to a road series, a road team. So, we know home field advantage is a big deal, and the Big 12 this year is a really big deal so far. Yeah, and there's been three sweeps and four. Five sweeps in there. I missed a couple. So it's just home team dominance. And so I, we can get into this later in the, when, like recapping the pick them, but I picked Oklahoma State here and, and I even knew that the home teams were really good. I should have, I should have gone with my, uh, with my gut. Yeah. If the TCU was going to bounce back, they were going to do it at home in Fort Worth and they did. Let's transition now talking to the ranking, t- talking about the rankings and the pick them. Top eight. And the rankings are the exact same as a week ago. So let's run through those just really fast. LSU, Wake Forest, Florida, Vanderbilt, followed by Arkansas, South Carolina, Stanford, Virginia. That's the top eight. Louisville and Campbell both move up. Louisville, seven spots. Campbell, just the one to nine and ten. Moving into the top 25 or just a couple of schools. Oregon State moving into 23. TCU at 24. Moving into the top 50. Notre Dame, Long Beach, Duke, Elon, Louisiana, and the Huskers. Nebraska right at number 50. Huskers are back. What else stands out to you about the top 50, Kyle? Yeah, there's a lot of movement towards like right right behind the top 25, which is just an arbitrary number that was picked. But uh, so Southern Cal, Southern Miss, and Arizona State all jumped up 10 or more spots. Southern Cal had a big weekend this weekend, uh, this past weekend, sweeping San Diego State when everyone else in Pac-12 play was beating on be, beating up on each other. Southern Miss won a big series on the road that I picked wrong. 
and Arizona State swept uh, Washington State. So that was like three big series um, that that just are kind of making making their way up towards the top twenty five. It's kind of it's kind of neat. Yeah, and I think we're starting to really feel entrenched with our top eight-ish schools. I think the separation between the top sure. eight and, and the next tier is pretty clear. The top eight between them, there. I mean, there's seven losses is the most, and that's Stanford. But there's just a lot of teams that have lost, you know, four, five, six games. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how the seeding pans out at the end of the year, especially with some of those SEC schools, because there are a ton of SEC schools packed in there. They got to start losing games as they continue to play each other in conference play. But that is our top 50. Check out our website, collegebaseball.info, to see the entirety of it. Let's talk a little bit more about our pick And I remember thinking that this was going to be one of the toughest weeks to pick, and it turns out it was, in fact, a pretty tough week. I had my first losing week on the season, two and three. Yeah, it, it had to happen eventually. Let's talk about the W's before talking about the L's, Boston College at Louisville. I, I, like, famously said that Boston College was overrated, even though we have our own rankings and now they got swept on the road at Louisville. There's not a whole lot of shame in that. I think it's interesting that Boston College now is just one game above 500 in the ACC. We've seen them have good starts to the year before and then collapse as ACC play goes along. I'm not saying that this Boston College team is the same as some of those that have had those collapses, but I'm not saying they're all that different. We'll see what happens. I got that one right. And I also correctly picked Iowa at Indiana. I actually picked the series game for game. Iowa did win game one, and then Indiana won game two and three. I have to toot my own horn there because the next three <laughs> were all series L's. So first series loss of the year, Washington at Arizona. Let's go there next. I picked Washington because Arizona had lost nine straight Pac-12 games. Arizona extended their losing streak to 10. I was feeling really good about myself, and then they went on a two-game winning streak. So they, they won that series <laughs> by two games to one. Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon State ended up getting that road series win over Oregon. AM at Auburn. I was impressed, I guess, by AM. I was just more shocked by how bad Butch Thompson's Auburn's Auburn pitching, pitching staff sure. is, saying that he's supposed to be something of a little, you know, pitching guru. But uh AM got that series win. You, you and I were debating that we were making our field of 64. We both we had both Auburn and AM as three seeds. It kind of felt like a little bit of a hedge. Whoever won this series was probably gonna have a little bit of a mm-hmm. an, an edge when it came to postseason uh status. So now I definitely see AM as a little bit more comfortably in Auburn as pretty iffy right now. So it was a big series win yeah. for AM. Yeah, and Auburn's pitching just lit up so many walks. It, it was, was bad. It was five hard in game to watch. one, yeah. thirteen in game two. 12 in game three that's not how you win baseball games with three passes it's honestly shocking they didn't get swept and well there was some controversy in game two there was that there was targotch had the worst slide i've ever seen from a college baseball player but he might have been safe still yeah there was one picture that showed a whiff but if he looked at like a second later it was it looked like he tagged him i don't know it's inconclusive it was the the game tying run in the ninth inning called out the plate just to add a little bit of context in case you didn't see that series so that was the one game that a lost they had a chance of winning that series that game they still won the series though that was important for them kyle how'd your pick them go you only had four series in the end lsu at south South carolina (laughs) we got screwed out of game three by mother nature yeah so i was one three and redacted because we don't we don't we don't acknowledge ties here yeah (laughs) we'll give you an extra series uh, next weekend to make up for it so you'll have six chances to earn a w didn't didn't i have another tie earlier on we should make up yeah but we both had we both had that that week so we just threw that one out that's fair that's fair yeah um so my win 
was Florida at Tennessee. There was a ton of homers this weekend at tiny uh, Lindsey Nelson Stadium. There are 13 homers. Um, Florida kind of dominated games one and two with a ton, a ton of strikeouts in game one. Uh, Brian Sproat was dominant, uh, dominant and uh, struck out, I think, nine balls. And it seems like Sundays of the day for Tennessee. They are seven and one in games, game threes of series on the year. Uh, mm. They, they, their pitching exploded in game three against. Uh, yeah, Drew Beam is their most consistent starter for sure. That's strange. Uh, can, I, can I make Dol- a confession? Dolander and yeah, what's up? Up until like mm, within the last couple of years, I thought it was Vols, like the animal. And like it took me a while uh-huh. to realize it was Vols, short for volunteers. Like I just thought, Vol- like, oh yeah, they're the Tennessee Volunteers, and they for some reason go by the Vols as well. Like <laughs> there's some land. And they animal. have a dog as their mascot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was a here. Anyone here? Anytime someone says Vols, I'm like ah, I get reminded of my my checkered past. <laughs> it's like the Auburn War Eagle Tigers. Are they Eagles? Are you Tigers? What are you? Admiral Akbar's. Yeah. No wait, that's Ole Miss. That's Ole Miss. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other series that's the the tie series that we don't acknowledge, LSU South Carolina is a really good series. I mean, really good two game series as far as those go. Um, the bottom of the seventh in game one, I feel like was was just the microcosm for how LSU pitching went this weekend. There was there were a hit, there was a hit by pitch, one, two, three, four, four walks, and, and another hit by pitch. Three of those walks. Two of those walks walked in a run, and a hit by pitch walked in or hit that run in. So, like, no hits. There were no hits in that inning for South Carolina, but just walks and hit by pitches, like pitching errors. The the LSU bullpen is a little bit iffy behind Paul Skeens. Like right after Paul Skeens Paul gave up fine. two home runs, though he gave up a couple. He had a lot of strikeouts, but Skeens gave up. I think mm-hmm. it was his first two home runs of the year. So, yeah, I think that made me see South Carolina. I, I knew South Carolina statistically had a very good offense, but. Pretty impressive to do that with Skeens. Yeah, so he only went three innings. Aside from those two homers, he did well. Like, he did fine. You can't discount those homers. And one of the runs was unearned because of an error. But, uh, yeah, like, he looked fine. And then the LSU bullpen blew up. South Carolina scored at least a run in the fifth inning on. So their their, uh, offense is on fire. They just kind of looked uh, like then, they were, weren't going to be beat by the fastball. Like just because Skeens can throw a hundred, mm-hmm. like if you if you run into one, you can drive it out like they did, and it just looked like they were sitting fastball, and they're like, hey, you know, he thinks you can just throw this right down the middle at us just because you can throw that hard. We'll swing, right. and if we make some contact, it's probably going to go a long way, and did. Yep. Um, and then my three series losses. You know, we already talked on the the Oklahoma State TCU series. I. I thought Oklahoma State pitching was a little bit more uh, in control, more consistent. And TCU, yeah, we didn't talk about earlier. Jawan Watts Brown, right? He lost to like he's he's mm-hmm. kind of the Oklahoma State ace, even though he's pitching on Saturdays and Sundays. But he lost. He gave up five runs to TCU. So Oklahoma State pitching struggled a little bit. Yeah, that's for sure. And TCU's bullpen, we already touched on, was was lights out after a terrible weekend in Lubbock, which maybe can be excused a little bit. Win in Rome, um, yeah. When in Lubbock, when in Lubbock get up a bunch of runs if you're a pitcher. <laughs> Lubbock and Rome often compared. <laughs> I often say that Lubbock is the Rome of West Texas. Western Texas, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Southern Miss. I picked Southern Miss beat ODU on the road. I had just, I thought those teams were really comparable, and I thought the home team had it in that series. And Old Dominion did win a game, but when 
Tanner Hall is as dominant as he is, kind of saved some of the, the bullpen for the rest of the weekend. Tanner Hall went seven and two thirds, one earned run, seven strikeouts, and only four hits allowed scattered over those. So he looked really good. And then the rest of the weekend was one via offense. It was a lot of runs allowed on both sides and just Southern Miss just uh kept putting up those fence posts in the later in later innings of the that Sunday game. They won game three, eleven to eight and clinching that series and the losing weekend for me. The other one was UC Santa Barbara at Fullerton. Fullerton won that series, kind of announcing Fullerton as a contender in the West. Yeah, the we'll talk about Fullerton while. more in our next next segment. Pretty big win yeah. for the Titans. They shut them out. They shut out the Gauchos in game three. I didn't think that UC Santa Barbara offense could get shut out. I thought they just did small ball and got like a run or two here and there. But yeah, shout out to Fullerton pitching, apparently. <laughs> and so that's my one three and redacted weekend. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up there. Take a quick break and we'll be right back with something or nothing. And we are back with a segment of something or nothing. We have three topics, Kyle. You and I have to decide whether or not it's something or nothing. Let's talk about my favorite thing to talk about, which is Jack Caglione. <laughs> uh, recently learned that Jack is an acronym. It's his initials. Uh, it's not short for like... What? Yeah, it's JAC. I, I can't remember what his name actually is, but it's like Jackson or Jeremy Alexander or something. I don't know. I, I'm just totally making up a name, but it's yeah, JAC or his, his initials and he goes by Jack. Uh, but uh, what I want to talk about, well, first, I want to talk about how in the preseason pod, I said he was a Golden Spikes contender and the he was just named to the Golden Spikes midseason watch list. So feeling pretty good saying that he was my dark horse, horse Golden Spikes guy that he has ended up on the Golden Spikes watch list at this point in the year. I think he's doing it more with offense than with pitching. Something or nothing in his four SEC starts, Jack Caglione has given up 14 earned runs. Kyle, you want to take this one first? Man, um, I think it's something because we thought for a long time so far in SEC play that Florida had three dominant starters and that would kind of help solidify them as a clear one or two in the SEC East. But if they only have two really good ones and then Cags is not maybe not as good as we thought. Maybe someone's figured him out with some timing of his fastball or something. Maybe that kind of bumps them down a peg. They still won yeah. the series on the road at Tennessee, but they kind of lit him up this weekend. I feel like it's kind of kind of concerning a little bit. I think. I think it's command. Uh, I, I really. It's. Mm-hmm. I want to say he might it's be being pulled in too many directions. He's playing first base some. He's DHing some. He's a Sunday starter. He has in his four SEC series, two, eight, three, and six walks. Those eight and six obviously stand out. But even then, I mean, his walkouts to strikeout ratio is 19 walks in those starts versus just 13 strikeouts. That's not going to get the job done. When Even if you're a lefty throwing 97, 98, if you're throwing 97, 98 out of that, that lefty three quarters overhead slot, you're going to be walk and you're walking a lot of guys. You're not going to be very successful. So I'm calling it something too. I don't. I don't know if he's the second coming of Shohei Otani anymore. I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> is that he maybe he isn't ready for that? I'm not saying he never could do that because he still obviously has the stuff. When you lose your command, but you're still hitting 450 or whatever he's hitting on the year, 20 home runs. You, you know, you're still having a pretty good season. Uh, but I agree that if 
Caglione only goes two thirds of an inning, gives up three earned runs like he did against Tennessee, or even the three and the third he did against Auburn with four earned runs, or the three and two thirds with two earned runs. Almost none of those starts really, I think, get the job done when it comes to long term deep runs in the postseason. So other starters that Florida's used, I guess, in the midweek, Tyler Nesbitt and Yoel Tejeda Jr. Those, so Tyler Nesbitt has a three ERA and Yoel Tejeda has a uh, 5.93 ERA. Not great, an eight, an 8.07 fit. So <laughs> he's not doing great. Maybe he's just been put up against like really good competition. He's a freshman, so maybe I'll give him a little bit of slack, but it's, um, you kind of need that pitching depth if you're going to, survive in the sec and make a deep tournament run yeah i'm going to expose my ignorance a little bit i knew coppola was supposed to come back for florida at some point and potentially contend for the sunday start he hasn't pitched all year which makes me think maybe he's shut down for the year but um yeah florida is lacking a little bit in some pitching depth lsu let's stick it with the sec for a bit lsu super team number one team in the country who's going to be lsu they're seven and four in sec play that's not as good as you would think LSU would be when you compare them to like a Vanderbilt at 11 and one, right? That's what you think. Or even like the mega teams like Tennessee last year, Arkansas the year before something or nothing. LSU is seven and four in SEC play. How I'm going to hand this one off to you too. I think it's nothing with the caveat that they've played the toughest, like part of this, their schedule at a is never easy. They, won the series in the first two games and needed to come back and win that, uh, that third game lost the first game against Arkansas. So they, they've like, they've won every series they've well, won and then tied every series they've played. Um, they've actually lost two of Skeen's starts in the sec. They've, they lost that game one to Arkansas and game uh, one South Carolina this past weekend, but they're, SEC slate actually gets kind of easier as like in the next few weeks they have Kentucky which is still good and they're number one in the RPI but they they lost that series and kind of exposed got exposed a little bit uh, against Georgia and then they have to go at Ole Miss Alabama at Auburn Mississippi State at Georgia none of those teams really strike fear compared to the gauntlet that they just gone through so I think they'll be okay they'll probably get some more sweeps here I think they're fine yeah, they're probably, I agree, it's a nothing. They're probably still win 20 SEC games or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially after always seeing with Tennessee and Arkansas in the years past, when you win tons and tons of series and SEC games, like that doesn't necessarily translate to postseason success. I think the key of any regular season is find your lineup, find your starting rotation, win enough games that you get to be a top eight seed. Like that's basically like yeah. what your goals should be as a team, right? You want a top eight seed, so you get host all the way to Omaha. You want to be confident going to the postseason. You know what everyone's role is. Beyond that, I'm not going to say the regular season doesn't matter because at the end of the day, winning a regular season SEC championship or whatever, like that's cool. Like that should be celebrated. That's a that's a nice Fans thing. Love that. Players love that. Yeah, why not? Like that's not bad to win your conference. But really, at the end of the day, you need like top eight seed, and you want your role set for the postseason. LSU, totally more than on track for both of those things. So I'm feeling fine about about LSU. Last up. Cal State Fullerton, we mentioned them both entering uh, or moving up our top 50 after a nice series win. We talked to them about, about them in the pick'em recap. They're 16 and 10 overall. Maybe more importantly, let's say they're 9 and 3 in the Big West. So they are in second place in the Big West. Is that something or nothing? 
I'll take this one first, Kyle. I tossed the first two at you because I was eating some freshly baked cookies. I had, mm. had them delivered by my father-in-law mid-podcast, so I had to find some time to, to munch on cookies. But uh, I'll take this one first. I do think this is a big deal. I feel like we've felt like Fullerton every year should be turning a corner. And they had that series win against Texas earlier this year. At that time, it was like, okay, does this mean anything? Like, where's Texas at? Texas lost. Tristan Stevens, you know, or at least didn't have him coming in the year. Looks like he might be returning at some point. But anyways, you know, like this Texas team, when Kyle State Fullerton beat them, was struggling. So it's like, okay, how do we interpret that? Big West, generally speaking, is doing way better than they were a year ago. They're like 10 spots higher in comps RPI. So being nine and three in the Big West is legitimate this year. They just took a series from UC Santa Barbara. I think this is like this. It's by no means hype to say Cal State Fullerton is a very legitimate contender in the Big West and has a very good shot at winning the Big West this year. And they also have at large possibilities. They schedule, they always schedule great, but they have this first three games in the year against Stanford. Texas is like 13 in the RPI. Stanford's 14. They they have Arizona. Oh, that one got canceled. They have UCLA a couple times, USC, which is jumping up in the in the RPI, Arizona State, TCU. Uh, those last two on the road. So they, they have a good shot at getting an at-large bid of the Big West, which we haven't seen a lot of at-large bids out of the Big West in a while. It's been, been a few years. One it's or been two. about five years. Yeah. yeah. It's been one one bid. They've been one big lead for the last five years. But yeah, right now, Cal State Fullerton is at 38 in the RPI+. plus, So they are looking pretty good. Let's wrap things up with a little bit of mail time. And we have a couple questions from fans. The first one I want to answer is about our rankings. I can't say exactly who said this because everyone said this. A lot of people said this. <laughs> a lot of people said this about a lot of the rankings. And it's interesting how I think there's actually pretty strong rank. There's actually like really strong ranking consensus with the top like 10-ish teams, give or take, mm-hmm. which I think is very interesting because that's not true most most years, most times. So the question that I want to throw to you, Kyle, is why aren't those Gamecocks number one in the country? No, that's a little bit hyperbole. <laughs> but like, why didn't they move up? They beat UNC in the midweek. They went one and one against the number one LSU team. Two and one week. That's pretty good. They weren't number six. Why weren't they like at least five or something? I mean, the reality is that they split the series and weekends are what define teams in college baseball. Whether you like it or not, midweeks matter less than the midweeks. I won't say they don't matter. They just matter less than the midweek than the weekends. Um but also in, in, including in that is is that the teams above them didn't lose also. Like LSU also went two and one in the week and they split that series on the road, which is probably even a little bit harder to do. And everyone else mm-hmm. looked good. And so yep, three teams ahead of them, one road series. One of them mm-hmm. swept a home series against a ranked team. That was Wake Forest over Miami. Like mm-hmm. where do you like how do you move them up? And you've said before, like, you don't want to reward teams. You want to think of it as rewarding teams for for doing what they're expected to do or whatever, or punishing them for not. But, like, you can't really reward it, like, or punish teams, like, ahead of them for not losing, which which is what they're expected to do. If South Carolina wins that game three, where do you think they are in their rankings? I, I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. Tough. I think, I think Wake Forest would be number one. Mm-hmm. Florida would be number two. I think it would be South Carolina three, LSU Vandy? four. Oh, Vandy five. Yeah. 
Man, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it would be really if, if that game three had been played and South Carolina had won. I it would have been would have been a thinker for sure about how to do the rankings. Or just if South Carolina's bullpen didn't give up that grand slam to Dugas in game two, like if they one of those runners not get on or something, like yeah, it was a close game game two. Yeah, but rankings don't care about widows or shouldas, not even a little bit. Yeah, I thought I saw some people saying like they almost won game two, but we don't really count almost. Or they so were, leading were leading for fourteen innings or whatever it was. It's like that doesn't matter. I've never heard anyone convincingly like hold an argument of, hey, this Arkansas was leading for however many innings against Oregon State in that national championship game and then <laughs> lost. It's like that's not how that works. Yeah. Is West Coast baseball back? Nate asked us this one. And if it's back, where did it go? <laughs> um, I'll take a stab at this one. I want to say it didn't go anywhere. It was just like half of it was hibernating because UCLA has been a number one seed multiple times in the last decade. Stanford has been a top three seed. Oregon State's been like, uh, we don't have to run down the whole like resume of the West Coast. Washington's been to Omaha in the last decade. Stanford and Arizona also in the last two years. Yeah, exactly. Arizona. I wasn't thinking about them. I think the point, I think Nate's question, which makes it a pretty, pretty good one is this is it's teams outside the Pac-12 that are doing some interesting things. And particularly when we look at Cal State Fullerton, we're looking at Long Beach, teams that have kind of been powerhouses on the West Coast that are playing a lot better. Back within the Pac-12, teams that haven't been as good in a long time, really. Like USC has won 20 games already. Arizona State is competitive once again. The Pac-12 moving up the rankings. I do think that we're at a unique point in recent history for West Coast baseball. I think in general, for better or for worst, I, I think if you're a fan of just, let's say, abstractly West Coast baseball, which I don't know how many abstract West Coast baseball fans are out there. I feel like a lot of them are just like, oh, I'm a fan of UCLA or whatever it is. But it is better for the West Coast street cred when these historical powers are better. Because like yeah. if Arizona State wins 40 games, people are like, oh, OK, yeah, Arizona State, they're generally like like they've been pretty good in the past. It's probably a pretty good 40 win team. When Grand Canyon wins 40 games, people are like, what Grand Canyon? They're like, what type of school is that? So I do think for like West Coast cred it is useful for them having teams like Arizona and USC, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach be good again. Yeah, it gets it's it goes into that like blue blood conversation we were having earlier. It's if those teams that are historical powers are really good all, all again at the same time, then it gets more national consideration, which I think is what this person's getting at. Like, yeah, basically, if you're good enough to get national consideration when the SEC is the one that's dominating, the ACC is the one that's dominating. So like they just want I mean, I think it's really good for any sport when you have really good teams all across the country and not just segmented in the southeast so it's, yeah i think it's good for the game something we're seeing too with conference realignment people want to watch sports at all hours of the day and so yeah. that's why ucla and usc are moving to the big 10 right the big 10 wants those west coast time slots to be able to start games at 9 p.m eastern time if you're in ohio or whatever if you're ohio state fan you're like oh should i stay up and watch some football. It's like, oh, might as well watch UCLA play Michigan State because that's relevant for my conference. You know, people love those time slots. What is good for the sport is when coast to coast, there are teams that are relevant because you can fill time slots. You can get eyeballs on the sport throughout the entire day, throughout the entire weekend. I think that's good for the sport. Absolutely. 
Oh man, got distracted by a really good bite of cookie there. Lost some <laughs> momentum. That's all right. We don't need it. We need cookies. <laughs> yeah, what is what is college baseball without cookies? That's what I always say. Yeah, can your can your father in law deliver me some? Mm. Is that feasible? Yeah, if you uh, send up some Texas barbecue boat, please. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> I think I'm winning that deal. I think bar- <laughs> brisk gets a little more expensive than flour. <laughs> yeah, probably. Thanks for listening to the College Baseball Nation podcast. If you liked what you heard, go give us a rating. If you didn't like what you heard, Kyle's email address is K. I actually don't know the rest of it. <laughs> uh, but follow us on social media at College Ball and that or website collegebaseball.info. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the midweek.